0: Sam.
1: This is the History Between Bites podcast.
0: The podcast where we talk about your favorite foods and where they come from.
1: This week's episode is olive oil. We're going to chat about where it came from, how it's used, and finish out with a sampling of two recipes using olive oil. One from antiquity and one from today. So get comfy, grab
0: a snack, and get ready for History History Between Between Bites. Bites. Alrighty. I'm super excited that we're finally recording. So episode one. I finally recording after lots and lots of hiccups and scheduling issues. But okay, so olive oil. Yours today, Bertie, is olive oil. Yep. So please tell me all there is to know about olive oil. Oh boy. Olive oil.
1: Extra virgin. <clears throat> E-V-O-O. Evo. You know, I'm going to end up using all of these names, so you're probably going to need to keep up. It is that golden, glossy liquid with its light fragrance and incredible versatility. It is the darling of foodies and dieters and heart healthy all across the globe. But what is it exactly? Where did it come from? And maybe the most curious question is, what are we going to do with it next? So let's begin at the beginning. Stop me if you've heard this one before. In 350 BCE, the Greeks were using olive oil for lube when getting fun and fancy-free. They used it on dicks and dildos and all manner of new and interesting toys to put in all sorts of places. Right? Well, sorta. It is true that the Greeks were using sexual lubricant and that it was most likely olive oil. After all, you use what you've got. Olive oil during this period wasn't a first choice consideration for cooking oil as well. Its primary function was to provide lamp light. Try saying that five times fast. No, thank you. For sex, though, as far as oil-based lubricants go, olive oil isn't a bad choice. It's body safe, moisturizing, and even smells pretty good. Disclaimer, please do not try this at home. I mean,
0: not with what is actually on the market now. No, please do not try olive oil.
1: No, it can also clog your pores and, like, cause you to break out. And nobody likes having acne. (laughs) Nobody especially likes having acne on their genitals.
0: Uh, no. No, and I, no. Just no. No. Hard
1: no. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Any piece? We've seen olive oil usage on leather dildos from this time period. And on the accounts of brides on their wedding nights being given an ex It's a pot for cosmetic and often scented oils. To uh, anoint or rub into their husband's um, extra... You can just berries. say
0: cock, it's okay. <laughs> Fine.
1: Into her husband's cock to ensure comfort during marital consummation.
0: I'm wondering if it also would help with smell. Because uh, we're talking about antiquity. And like, Romans bathed is not the medieval times. Um, but, right, if it's for cosmetic and other scented oils... I mean, I don't know how often they're washing their penises, so...
1: I mean, I t- can't imagine it was better back then.
0: Well, and in antiquity, not to not to uh, foreskin shame anybody, but um, only <laughs> Jews are being circumcised, so I'm just saying there might be an added um, benefit to scented oils at this time period. <laughs>
1: I'm not sure there's scent on the face of this earth that make, can make magma smell better. <laughs>
0: and I mean, that's not just to like male shame because we're ladies. Like, uh, you know, if you're not watch- washing your girl parts either, I'm sure oh. that some scented oils in the yonders is not a bad idea for not, not for no the ladies idea. either. Uh, but lubricant, right? That's that's the point. Lubricant, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lubrication. All right.
0: Just use KY. Not a sponsor.
1: <laughs> not a sponsor. Just a fan. <laughs> So while it's really fun to discuss olive oil's humble origins as lamp oil and lubrication, we're actually here to talk about its culinary history. So we're going to start that out with how and where it's made.
0: Can we take a brief pause so I can go check on some olive oil cakes real quick and then we can jump back in? Awesome. We don't want to burn cakes. No,
1: let's not burn any cakes.
0: Cake is out. Oven is off.
1: They smell delicious.
0: Strange. Strange because it's not a cake cake smell,
1: but whatever. Anyways, olive oil cakes. Honestly, that's probably better for you anyways, because you don't really like cake all that much.
0: I don't. Episode one, and secrets are coming out.
1: (laughs) We should do a history of cake as well.
0: Yes, and I will have to try all of the wonderful, glorious cakes that I don't like. It's going to be so awesome. All right, olive oil, though. (laughs) All right, so tell me how this is made. You squeeze it, right? It's just like oranges, just throw it in a juicer and good to go?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. (laughs) So, uh, as you might have guessed from the whole spiel on Greeks getting frisky with lamp oil, uh, Aoife from the Mediterranean. Makes sense. We've been grinding olives in between rough surfaces and pressing them to harvest that sweet, sweet liquid gold since somewhere around 6,000 BCE. Uh, quick note, we are going to be using BCE and CE because it makes more sense than having a 33-year gap. Thanks, bye!
0: And not all of the world operates on a Christian calendar, so... Yeah, equal opportunist dating. Thank you. We're <laughs> decolonized dating, but not that kind of dating. You can colonize that dating all you want, I suppose. Anyway, side notes.
1: <laughs> don't colonize. Just don't. Just, it's just. It's not a great time for anybody. Okay, so <laughs> traditional methods include something that many of our listeners, some of our listeners maybe, might recognize as a proto grist mill and discs of fibrous material. So that they grind the olives into a paste, and then they spread them on these discs, and then they stack these discs, and then they squish them.
0: I love that you say that. Like some of our listeners may recognize. I hope they do because I have no idea what this was. This proto grist mill. I had no idea what a grist mill was.
1: Grist mill is made for like making cornmeal and flour.
0: Oh, okay. This makes more sense.
1: So you just grind that shit down until it ma- like same thing, but olives are wet, so they're yeah. making a paste okay. instead of a powder. Cool. As in many great parts of our culinary experience, time is your friend in this process. Uh, The grinding of olives should take time to mature the flavors and the earliest methods of extraction. You had to wait for the oil to rise and the water to sink to finalize the actual oil from this mash water. When you're making whiskey, that's called mash tun, by the way. It's kind of the similar process except you just boil the shit at it. We'll get into that in a later episode. Modern methods have mostly exchanged this whole wait-time aspect for hashtag science. Uh, Centrifugal force is used to separate the heavy water from the lighter oil, and modern grinders take the time and effort out of extracting the olive flavor for all they're worth. Um, you can actually do this in like, minutes as opposed to hours.
0: Well, uh, you know, modern usage, of course, we're going to take something that has the beauty of time and be like, nope, we're done five seconds flat and bottle it and capitalize on it. But
1: uh I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So that's kind of the quick and dirty on the how and a very, very brief overview on the where. I didn't want to get into the whole like we found stuff all over Israel and the Mediterranean and even like early stuff in the indo-chinese region and it's just a lot and a lot of those sources can't be necessarily like they're not necessarily reputable like there's there's no way to really check them or they're behind a paywall and i love you guys but i'm not going to be paying 40 dollars for two pages out of a overall scientific journal
0: but we could do that in the future if you Join our Patreon.
1: Patreon.com slash History Between Bites.
0: Anyways, shameless plug. Um, So basically what you're saying is that olives aren't necessarily only indigenous to the Mediterranean, but really to the wider Levant, right? So um, parts of the Middle East, Mediterranean, Israel, North Africa, I would assume in some places, as well as you said Indochina? Yeah. Okay, so, but... The primary uses, at least with the evidence that we have, is going to be from Mediterranean and with Greco-Roman sources, because the Greeks and the Romans like to write things down. Um, and it's not even so much that they like to write things down. It's also that they liked to be studied. Again, a little pl- shameless plug here for colonization, but history has a colonization aspect to it as well. And so when, um, white men are funded to study white man history, um, you get a lot of information on Greece and Rome. So that is why there's a ton of evidence and resources for this. um, And even places where people dig is even um, politically charged, right? You don't get money to dig in sub-Saharan Africa if people don't think that the history of sub-Saharan Africa is, um, is lucrative. And so that's why we have a ton of evidence that comes out of the Mediterranean, because of course early historians or early Europeans
1: really valued that space. And their governments are all about getting money for that kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like Italy has an enormous tourism industry based almost entirely on Dead people? Of, <laughs> <of Roman> history. <laughs> on its
0: dead people and half built buildings or half ruined buildings.
1: I mean, it could be both.
0: Yeah. Don't Actually, get me wrong. I still want to go, left but room. yes. <laughs> I'm like, all of my studies have taken place in the Mediterranean, but I can still shit on it every so often. I mean,
1: (laughs) the things you love are the things that you're able to criticize the most because you know the most about them. I would hope so. So looking at the Levant, right? Yes. Okay. We're going to do a dig into some of Olive Oil's intrigues. You don't get to be as old as this culinary giant without a couple of skeletons in your closet. The Levant is where we see the first evidence of olive oil grades and their connections into classist ideals in ancient civilization
0: so oil is the way in which you would determine how rich somebody is
1: yes and no okay um so the really good olive oil the like top tier what we would consider like the super expensive you know the the 30 or 40 dollar small bottle of olive oil in your grocery store that would be what your upper crust is getting okay. and those are the the highest grade and these are literally the highest grade olive oils. They're, the olives are from the very, very top of the tree and were only very lightly pressed. So they had this like light, sweet-flavored oil. It's like your grandma's ever-beloved salad oil that you'll see in every old recipe you've ever seen. That was the darling of the upper societal crust. It's what they would use for eating. It's what they would use for probably lubrication. <laughs> um, and let's not forget that it is a class symbol. These would come in these nice jugs or they'd have nice jugs to display it. Hmm. Insert joke about boobs here. <laughs> Anyways. Uh,
0: I mean up. the Greeks and the Romans did have lovely jugs. They did. They're in lots of museums.
1: They are. <laughs> they really are. They have a whole a whole history of somebody who got off of murder charges by showing her jugs. So Oh
0: yes, yes, yes. Different jugs. So confusing. I mean We'll get there. <laughs>
1: The next is is a thicker and more robustly flavored oil. It's a very middle-class offering. It was used for cooking and pleasure and oil lighting, and it was this versatile, thick oil. It's what you would use now for, like, sautéing. It's what we use now for sautéing and cooking in general. So that would be, like, your your middle-of-the-road. I'm not going to... No, I am. Like a Bertolli olive oil? (laughs) I was not going to drop that originally, but it's the one I use.
0: Also, not a sponsor.
1: Also, not a sponsor, <laughs> just a fan. Um, so, so you're saying that like
0: this would be something that if people had a bit of like more money, they would be able to buy something that's slightly nicer than the stuff you're going to talk about next, which is like crap oil. Yes. But they probably wouldn't have had enough um, money or even access to what we would call the what you're calling like the upper societal crust
1: exactly. of
0: olive oil. So more readily available. I'm assuming, but maybe, um, definitely at a premium. Yeah. Okay.
1: This would have been the stuff that, like, if you've got senators buying the nice salad oil, like your grandma's salad oil, then you've got their servants, not their slaves, but their servants buying this mid-grade oil. The people that are, like, the heads of their households that run all of the, like, banal things that they don't want to deal with. Got it. These are the guys that proverbially scrub the toilet. That's what they're buying.
0: (laughs) So, what are the people who actually scrub the toilet buying? Right, because those would be the slaves. Yes. Okay.
1: Uh, That would be oil that was made from unripe olives that had been buried in sacks and left to decay for a little bit, producing an inferior product that, even though it was edible, was cheap and not as pleasant as the first two. Well,
0: if it's left to decay, is it slightly fermented?
1: Uh, mildly, Mildly. Okay. The, the oil. verbiage used specifically was decay as opposed to ferment, so it, I think that it doesn't go through that full, like, yeasting process that you see normally. That makes sense. Yeah. With more modern techniques comes a fourth grade of olive oil that's produced using chemical solvents. You'll see this marketed <laughs> as pomace oil, which is extracted from the byproducts of true virgin oil production. Uh, pomace oil is actually still edible, and it still has some of the health benefits that people talk about with olive oil. You know, it's heart-healthy... Um, it helps lower your LDL cholesterol. It's high in HDL. I'll explain that in a second. I know that I'm talking medicine and math at you, but <laughs> it doesn't have the same flavors. Those flavors have been pretty much washed away during the extraction process.
0: It's like running it through like alcohol, basically. Like You're, yeah, you're it, taking it and, and
1: using... You're using chemicals to extract yeah. the the actual oil itself. So yeah, alcohol is actually probably a pretty good metric. That's probably one of the chemicals they use because it's actually technically body safe even if it is a poison oh fun yeah science (laughs) hashtag science i told you (laughs) wait you my faithful podcast listeners might say you keep using this term virgin oil but i honestly have no idea what the olive oil's sexual history has (laughs) to do with its goodness or quality
0: well i mean you know a little bit of its sexual history but not its sexual history just the history of its sexual uses anyhow so sexual history of virgin olive oil
1: I do encourage you to also ask the question of what its sexual history has to do with its goodness or quality when you're talking about your or anyone else's sexual history, but that's a mom rant for another time. And no, I won't be telling you olive oil's body count here. <laughs> uh, whatever it gets up to is its business, so long as it's safe, sane, and consensual, guys.
0: You should definitely not ask anybody their body count.
1: No, don't but... do that. That's rude. <laughs> who's The sexual prowess and experience have nothing to do with olive oil's virgin status. Virginity in oil has to do with its extraction. So, olive oil is mechanically extracted only. That's why pomace oil is not labeled as being virgin or extra virgin or anything like that. Extra virgin is an even higher quality of regular old virgin oil. Think the preachy girl in your eighth grade class with the jean skirts and the bad haircut that was probably being abused because she's an IBLP? It's a whole thing, guys. Go watch Shiny Happy People. Also, not a sponsor of this show. We're just a fan. Extra Virgin, the standard for it, is upheld by this incredibly named International Olive Council. And it's made with a blend of traditional and modern methods to create the most flavorful and pure oil on the market. Today. But, like,
0: how do I get that job? How do I work on the International Olive Council? And does it pay better than an adjunct professor?
1: <laughs> olive certainly pays better than an <laughs> adjunct professor. Almost Not
0: to sorry. hate on the institutions that in which pay my bills. But International Olive Council member sounds freaking awesome on a resume.
1: It sounds like I could have like an olive leaf laurel like on my...
0: On your lapel. It's like yes. FBI, but like with olive emblems. Like an olive branch. <laughs> I love this. I love this. An olive no branch that's actually olive branchy and not like a fake olive branch of like CIA, yes. <laughs> for they it's not a real thing. I mean CIA is, but they're olive branches, not so much. No, no, they're, we're going to be put on so many lists for this oils. podcast.
1: <laughs> Anyways, the
0: it's International fun. Olive Council.
1: International Olive Council. The job I want. The job <laughs> Sam wants. The process of deciding extra virginity actually involves smelling and s- smelling, sipping and hunting viciously. For any flaws in this oil's sensory experience. Tasters will often use this process called Stripagio, where they take a sip of the oil and then heavily inhale on either side of their lips to illuminate all of these hidden corners of the oil's flavor profile.
0: And now I realize why I'm not on this council. That sounds ridiculously annoying to listen to all day long.
1: Like, Like,
0: slurping is one thing, but this is like slurping...
1: On steroids.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Never mind. I resend my um, application to the International Olive Council for um, audio issues. (laughs) No, thank you.
1: I don't because my sponio is not an issue for me. (laughs) I would like this job. What are some of these hidden nasties that you might find in an oil? Well, there are hints of musty, fusty, whiny vinegary, or rancidity that are disqualifiers for the title of extra virgin, tasters, called sommeliers, because of course they are, have trained their palates through years of tasting to be able to detect even a hint of these flavors. No muss truly is no fuss in the high-stakes world of extra virgin olive oil. Wait again, you may cry. What the hell do those flavors mean? What a... Right? Because only two of those make sense.
0: Like, winy vinegary totally makes sense, especially if you've left, like, wine in the fridge a little too long and you're like, oh, I can still drink this. Definitely not. That winy vinegary makes perfect sense. And rancid, like, got it. ruined. Like, it, it's, it's... It's just gross. It's gross. But musty, fusty. Hmm. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see the like the descriptions of these. Because so far they're on my list of really good insults, but I need to know what they mean.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely question with really gross answers. So, let's take it from the top. Musty. This is what your oldest, saddest relative's house smells like. Vaguely of mold, definitely neglect. Not precisely something you'd want to toss zucchini in. Yeah, no thanks. Like, I always get the idea, I got the idea from my reading that it's a bit like mothballs. Oh, fun. Nobody wants to drink mothballs, guys. At all. Or toss your zucchini or your salad with mothballs.
0: Please don't toss your salad with moth- mothballs, guys.
1: Yeah. Please don't. Please don't. Again, mothballs are not a sponsor. <laughs> I'm not even a fan. Just not use even a cedar fan.
0: <laughs> Okay, so then fusty. What is fusty?
1: Fusty is the smell and taste of a billy goat.
0: Oh, okay.
1: If you don't know what that smell is, congratulations. I'm officially jealous.
0: That would be me. I don't know what that smells like, but I can imagine.
1: It's barnyard meets swamp ass.
0: Oh, so it's like petting zoo. Uh huh. In Florida,
1: <laughs> petting zoo and petting zoo in Florida meets a dirty diaper.
0: Oh, okay. It's yeah, I could really probably put this as, 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 as a mom. I could probably imagine what that smells like. Y-
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No
0: thanks. Fusty, a very good insult.
1: A very good insult.
0: Probably better than musty, but a, I a, like it. Fusty a, for sure.
1: Swamp ass belly goat. <laughs> in one word, it's amazing. Nice. All right, whiny vinegary is pretty much what it says on the tin. It's what wine that goes off tastes like. It's sharp, it's sour, and it's not fermented long enough to wrap back around a pleasant. It's just kind of ick. I don't know if you guys enjoy rose wine, but the best winey, vinegary, like this is going to go off really fast, leave a glass of rose on the counter overnight. Bleh.
0: Yeah, one that goes <coughs> quick because the sugar content, too.
1: Yeah. Also, why it gives you wicked hangovers.
0: Yes, yes. Drink water, guys. If you're going to be drinking rose, just. Just, just three, do that.
1: Drink water. Lay I'm, in your bathtub. <laughs> Bath bubbles not necessarily included. And if you have cats, sing Broadway tunes to them.
0: And then maybe acquire a taste for shard. <laughs> yeah. I haven't I haven't reached that, but you know. Anyway, so hangovers for me. Okay, so rancidity, right? It's just rot in general, or it's
1: generally the the the, the idea of rot, but with olive oil, it's specific in that it gives yeah. off the smell of both paint thinner and crayons. It's caused by your oil sitting for too long in the wrong storage conditions.
0: However, so. I heard that this is a really big fan amongst sailors and Marines.
1: <laughs> the crayon part, if it's more the crayon part. Yeah, paint thinner,
0: I right hear, is the thing amongst
1: yeah, for the sure. Navy.
0: But in any case,
1: again. <laughs> the United States Marine Corps is also not a sponsor of this podcast. It's not not a sponsor of the podcast, though. I mean, Yeah. Slightly
0: financially sponsoring the podcast.
1: Technically, uh, marinas. Uh, <laughs> technically, we support
0: our troops. Just saying.
1: The wrong storage conditions would be leaving the top open. Is a really easy one. Storing it in direct sunlight. Please don't do that. Some combination thereof, or storing it in something long term, like something like Tupperware, like the normal plastic that you can get, like the large jugs of olive oil, are probably fine long term. You wanna store in glass, preferably glass that's dark. Old beer bottles. Old beer bottles are a good one. Yeah. Old wine bottles. Nice. Things you can seal. Please don't commit any of those particular crimes of storing in Tupperware, open topped, indirect sunlighting as your oil. It risk re- regret, thy name is rancidity. Yeah. Okay, there's also a bonus non-virgin flavor that isn't actually recognized by the IOC. I mean it might be recognized by them, but they don't test for it. It's Frozen. Not the musical, though if you find an ice queen in your olive oil, that's probably not great either.
0: <laughs> I mean, it depends on the ice queen, I suppose.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't mind finding Elsa in my olive oil. I would just be concerned as to how long she'd been there. Like, girl, that shit's really hard to get out of your hair. <laughs> you might want to come up for air. Yeah, she's don't. magical, but she'll be fine. Yeah, that's fair. So this tastes slightly more pleasant than the others. It can create heavier notes of umami or even some sharpness that doesn't veer into that deep unpleasantness of vinegary. Or it can make your olive oil taste freezer burnt. It just depends on how badly the olives are experiencing a frost prior to harvest. Your mileage may vary. Especially
0: in the Mediterranean. Like, you would think that there's not frost, but I've been in Israel when it has snowed, so it is a thing.
1: Yeah, like the Mediterranean still... Has seasons
0: for sure. Gets cold. <laughs>
1: it's not like California where you get like a few <laughs> days of season.
0: Yeah, in the same week.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: all four seasons are in one week in August.
1: Yep. <laughs> Just the, it. It storms yep. three times a year here. That's about it. Yeah.
0: Um, okay, so if the olives themselves have a freezing before they are processed, then they can have this sort of um, frozen, burnt flavor or freezer burn flavor to it.
1: Yes. Okay. It just depends on how heavy the frost is. So, like, mm. some of them it mentioned, like, if they just get lightly frosted, 35 or 34, 35 degrees, so it just barely touches that frost, it can cause those nice, like, umami flavors, and some are even looking for that. It's not like in wine where ice wine is, like, coveted for its sweetness. Um, we'll talk about that more when we get to the wine episode.
0: Yeah, please, because now I have no idea what you're talking about with ice wine. Ugh, I've love that I learn here. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, but if it, it gets too cold then they're pretty much unusable because it's going to be tasting like you stuck your olives in a freezer. And that's not not a pleasant experience. All right. I have a bonus round for you guys.
0: I love a bonus round.
1: Yes. So there is a process to powdering oil. I'm sorry. What? Oh, yeah. So my soon to be faithful podcast listeners, you might be wondering how things like ramen packs somehow include oil. You've seen the little dots of oil in the top of ramen packets, right? Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I love that my... I Sometimes I wish this wasn't just an audio interface, because I think my mind, like, my whole face did the mind-blown face right now, when I was
1: like, oh, shit. Powdered oil. Okay, yeah, no, please tell me. It's actually, it's a really cool and shockingly simple process. Um, So I really wondered about that. I was literally sitting here with a bowl of ramen, because it's the only thing I could keep down. (laughs) And I see this little dots of oil, and I'm like... Okay, but the noodles don't feel oily, and the only other thing in the ramen pack is that little condom wrapper seasoning packet thing. <laughs> so, where do those little bubbles of flavorsome fat actually come from? Well, my friends, that's the magic of powdered oil. The process for powdering oil...
0: Can I can I guess? Yeah. Because I haven't read the script ahead. Yeah. Are they dehydrating it?
1: No, actually. Oh!
0: Okay! This is so much more exciting. I'm like, throw it in a dehydrator and just just do it that way, but uh, clearly that's not the way, so let's no, hear you this. You end up
1: with, like, you know how when you're seasoning like, cast iron, if you have something underneath, mm-hmm. it gets that sticky thing on it? You that's... get, like,
0: olive oil fruit roll-up? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, and that doesn't sound pleasant at all. <laughs> Burnt olive oil fruit roll-up. I mean,
0: it sounds like a really fun science experiment in the future, but I don't want to ruin anybody's dehydrator, because that seems like it would ruin the dehydrator for sure.
1: It sounds like it'd be fun to, like, slap on somebody that has really... Bad sensory issues and is being a dick to you.
0: So like instead of the tortilla challenge, it's just the it's... the olive oil fruit roll-up challenge? Yep. Please don't try these things at home, guys.
1: Please don't. <laughs> because if you, if you burn yourself, then I feel responsible even though I'm not responsible. It's a whole thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. So how is it, how is it done if it's not dehydrated?
1: Okay. So this process is actually super duper simple. Uh, you're going to combine a polysaccharide powder, which is a multi-chain carbohydrate, with oil. The ratio of powder to your favorite liquid fat is 40% the mass of the oil. So if you're trying to take 100 grams of liquid fat, like olive oil, uh, and make it into powder, you need 40 grams of your polysaccharide. This powder absorbs your oil upon whisking or combination methods, including a food processor or a blender, and voila, powdered oil. And can you just get this uh, polysaccharide
0: powder on
1: Amazon? Yeah, you can get it from GNC, Amazon, pretty much any health store. Oh. We'll talk about that So it's in a quite easy. Oh, yeah. yeah we're yeah. still
0: making powdered oil in the future. I don't know what we're going to use it for, but we're going to make it.
1: Oh, I talk about that too. Sweet. I love that I haven't read the
0: script. <laughs> yes. uh,
1: this powdered oil stuff is really good for making extra flavorful seasoning blends because remember, guys, that is flavor. Uh, ensuring you get the most perfect popcorn known to God and man and otherwise creating magic in your kitchen. This sounds lovely. Yeah, you can make your own homemade ramen packets with this stuff
0: okay so what exactly is this polysaccharide powder
1: uh so polysaccharide is like we talked about earlier a multi-chain carbohydrate so in layman's terms that's 10 or more sugar molecules that are just smushed together okay they can be the same kind of sugar which is called a homopolysaccharide or different sugars called heteropolysaccharides,
0: but we're equal opportunities for both. I'm assuming.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> the the homopolysaccharides are actually going to be easier to absorb in your system. Not like it, I don't think it makes that much of a difference versus like for making your powdered oils. But the one I'm talking about today is a homo- homopolysaccharide. Got it. So the most common polysaccharide on the food market today, which is sometimes commercially used for the purposes of powdering oil, uh, is maltodextrin, which
0: is literally in everything. Yeah. So, yeah, this is really easy to get your hands on.
1: Yeah, it's a homopolysaccharide, so it's all the same sugar. It's all dextrose. so it's just kind of squished together. Or maltose, excuse me, sorry. More commonly, it's used as a thickening and filling agent. It's one of those reasons that it's so very, very absorbent and increases the volume of foodstuffs it's added to. And it's really cheap to produce.
0: Is this the stuff that's also added to water to make, like, thick water? Yep. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, yeah. See, I know some food things.
1: Yeah. Like, that's why you can get it at pharmacies and stuff is because thick water is better for, like, hydrating people that can't swallow too well and stuff.
0: Nice. Which is different than heavy water. Correct. Because that would be atomic bomb
1: area. <laughs> and that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> so
0: thick water, maybe with, like, two or three C's?
1: I would say, <laughs> depends on the amount of malto. Yeah, multi- yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. I digress. I'm sorry. I keep, I keep running away with your show.
1: Okay. Oh. It's your show, too. So you combine this idea of it being easy and cheap to produce and being everywhere and filling out the volume of food stuff so that they can get away with the whole less is more thing. And it is a darling of the processed food industry. But for you, having some maltodextrin in your pantry in moderation, as with all things, makes a great addition. Now, please note that the food industry uses this with absolutely zero moderation. (laughs) It is in everything.
0: Yeah, it's like the high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. Like this and that are like the, the twins of overuse in per, like processed
1: foods. Yeah, literally though. And citric acid. Yes, but, because this also does have some preservative properties, but sugars also have preservative properties. Yeah,
0: and may That's, make your food taste better. I mean, always. allegedly. <laughs> it's it's allegedly.
1: Salt. Allegedly. <laughs> so you may actually be sitting here going, Maltodextrin sounds really familiar. And it should, if you're the type of person who reads an ingredients list on products. You know, my kind of people. I also want to emphasize that it is a sugar, even though it's not great at sweetening on its own. So, uh, diabetics beware. Just because it ain't sweet doesn't mean it can't fuck with your blood pressure.
0: Well, because it's a- Blood sugar, excuse me. Well, because it's a carb, right? Like, carbohydrates, like, especially if you're diabetic, you have to worry just as much about carbs carbs that you do have, like, added sugar to things because carbs all turn into sugar. That's why diabetics don't drink a whole lot of alcohol, guys. But you know this. If, you, if you're if you a diabetic, you know this. So
1: It's like the definition of empty carbs, by the way.
0: Oh, I would imagine. There's like zero nutritional factor to it at all.
1: No, it's just a carb. <laughs> it's just a carb. But if you're curious about trying your hand at powdering oil, you can buy maltodextrin at most supplement stores and even pharmacies. You're going to be seeing it like labeled as either just straight maltodextrin, which is where I saw it at GNC, or at CVS it's going to be something like, I think it was called Thick Water or Thick Up, and it was just, like, a powdered version. Makes sense. Uh, Just, if you're going to do this, remember to get unflavored maltodextrin, unless you have a real craving for, I don't know, vanilla-flavored Evu. I mean, more power to you if you do use it for baking.
0: Uh, Uh. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but it also... Doesn't sound
1: right. (laughs) No, vanilla does not sound like an infusion for olive oil. Like, I I infuse my own olive oil pretty regularly. Um, I use heat infusion. Yeah. Peppers. Cuts out a lot of the time, but it also makes your olive oil cloudy. So, like, your mileage may vary. It depends on if you care about the aesthetic or care about the flavor or both. Oh,
0: you meant heat like on the stove, not heat
1: like peppers. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Okay, so just welcome to the podcast real quick where um, I am the dumb one because I've spent far too much time reading academic articles of world history um, and history of the Mediterranean, so I know zero things. So, Bertie, (laughs) Bertie, please tell me what you mean
1: by heat infusion. Right, so you're going to put it on the stove and you're going to cook it. Yes. So when you're using heat infusion for olive oil, you want to keep your olive oil at like a medium low heat and you want to get it up to where it's just barely starting to move. So you'll just start to see, I call them fracture lines because that's what they look like when oil starts to heat up a little bit. And then you start adding in the things that you want to infuse. Whether you want to use heat or cold infusion really depends on the ingredients and it depends on how much time and effort you're willing to put into this and Honestly, how much of a damn you give about how pretty it looks.
0: Does cold infusion, can you also run the risk of it going bad, though?
1: Yes and no. It kind of depends.
0: So I like, feel like I have tried to infuse with garlic, and it did not go so great. Again. I, would,
1: I would definitely heat infuse for garlic. Yeah. Anything that's going to have like a high moisture content, I would definitely do heat infusion. For something like basil, you're going to get a little bit more of those bitter notes that you would get in basil when it heats. Um, But that's why I also recommend super low heat, and you toss in your basil for me, because the last two I've made have been sweet basil and Thai basil infusions. You toss those in, you kill the heat, and you just, like, let it sit. And I let them sit for, like, an hour, hour and a half, until they come down to room temperature, and then I strain them out. Okay. For garlic, I would do something very similar. Got
0: it. I did not strain mine out. So, it got yucky really fast.
1: For things like dried herbs or even, like, something as hearty as rosemary, you can do a cold infusion and do fine. Yeah. Like, rosemary peppercorn is awesome and easy.
0: No, I thought I was going to be amazing and just, like, pop open a garlic clove and throw it in some oil and call it a day. And it was not a day. <laughs> it was... It was not pretty when I got it back out to Ugh. use it. Yeah, but uh, that's okay. It was a very small batch, so I didn't I didn't waste too much of the uh, olive oil or yeah. garlic because neither one of those products should be wasted.
1: You know how we talk about alcohol abuse when we spill a beer?
0: Oh, huge party foul! If you're spilling extra virgin olive oil, I mean, maybe not as much now, but could you imagine the party foul that would have been the ancient world? Oh. Like, oh. if you were at a symposium and there you are with your um, fancy heretai dancing around, probably not, not topless, and then she <laughs> happens to knock over your amphora of extra virgin olive oil, let's just say it's not a party anymore. No. Certainly not a party anymore.
1: I mean, you could try and salvage ever. it and make it something of an orgy, but like, scraping...
0: But it's extra virgin olive oil. Like, that would be the stuff that they would want to eat. Yeah. Like, th- th- yeah. I- okay. All right. So it's hurting my heart. My ancient heart is now hurting for the <laughs> idea of spilling this like long process, beautiful oil. So I will. I will not. I will not party foul any more of my oil.
1: Yeah, when you're grinding for like the traditional make of extra virgin olive oil, when you're making the like super nice stuff that isn't pressed super hard, so you get that nice light sweet oil, you're supposed to grind between forty and sixty minutes. So this would have been probably three days worth of work. It would have been an hour of grinding and then spreading everything out onto these like fibrous mats would have been another hour or two with all of this paste and making sure that you don't waste any of it because these are the best olives. They probably were on the tree an hour before you started this. That sounds amazing. Right? (laughs) And then you like put on the heavy weight and you just have it dripping down into your bowl and then you just wait. Well, and not only is the process
0: itself, especially for this like high grade olive oil takes forever, but like you have to grow the olives. And like, I don't know if our uh, listener base knows this, but olive trees don't produce for like seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Quite some time. So this is quite the long term investment.
1: Yeah. And one bad year can cause a bad harvest for like a decade.
0: Oh, that's yeah. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right.
1: Olive trees are thankfully quite hardy. Mm -hmm. Um, And what what is beautiful? If you ever get the opportunity to see like olive wood furniture, take it. Well, it would have to be hardy. I mean, maybe not.
0: I mean, the Mediterranean has a pretty temperate weather system. Of course, we talked a little bit about it getting, you know, having seasons and things like that. But you know, the places in the Arabian Peninsula and North Africa where olive olive trees grow is also not always the most hospitable places. So they would have to be a hardy tree. Like it's a lot of
1: the hottest dicks there. (laughs) A lot of the soil is really rocky and stuff, too. yeah, though one of the largest largest olive oil producer in the world is Spain, but particularly when you had the Moorish takeovers prior to one of the inquisitions, I'm not sure which one. <laughs> uh, the Moors brought in a bunch of olive trees and they planted them all over the Andalusian region of Spain. And Andalusia is still not only the glass making capital of Spain. They are also the olive oil producing capital of Spain. In the country that makes the most olive oil. Wow. Most of their countryside looks like an olive, like an olive orchard. That sounds amazing. Because it is.
0: Patreons, please, please be Patreon so that we can show you what these are because we get to go there. Just, but, you know, (laughs) kind of. I would love to go and look at these ridiculous olive orchards. That would be amazing.
1: Patreon goal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes.
0: Um, so some of the things that I thought, like, I love that I'm still learning about this, because the places that I know about olive oil, um, of course, with the study of of magic, right? So I don't, I don't know. Heads up, listeners, with episode one, I studied ancient magic in the Mediterranean. Olive oil is part of the processes there, but I don't think it's as prominent as we would have thought. I know that there's different sort of pharmaca And um, things that we would consider like medicinal compounds that would have used olive oil. But one of the things I always found interesting was the use of olive oil in cleaning. So, right, the the Romans had been known to um, before they would get into the bathhouses, right? Because these are communal baths, Roman men being who are going to the bathhouses, of course, because women are I- icky and cannot go.
1: Women are gross. They yeah, period all over the place. Yes, okay. yes, yes,
0: yes. Um, but they would go into these areas and they would sort of pour olive oil onto themselves. And I'm assuming it's not going to be this high grade stuff. It'd be sort of probably that middle ground area. Um, and they would take a, uh, what is called a stylus. So it's kind of this... Um, <laughs> it's an ancient squeegee kind of, but it's a, it's um a long stick that um, they would then push onto their skin and sort of scrape their skin down, you know, not abusively, but like scrape the oil off of their skin. So they'd put the oil on, then they would scrape it down with the stylus, and the idea is that the oil would capture the um impurities on their skin and clean them, and then they would get into the water. Which is really gross to also think about, like, the separation of water and oil in these bathhouses.
1: <laughs> it's just one giant ramen bowl, guys. Yeah. Given
0: soup. <laughs> yes. But yeah, and like, you know, there's there's all sorts of things. Not just in lubrication, but I know that there's also been oils found in different, you know, contraception for, for women in the ancient world.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, like, one of the big things was, especially in, like, you hear about the whole, oh, there was a diaphragm made of crocodile dung. In ancient Egypt. People talk about that a lot, but, like, one of the ones we actually have found is, like, a poultice that was created out of olive oil and herbs that was used as a diaphragm and spermicidal. Which would make more sense, because, like, let's just take a second to,
0: like, ancient peoples are not dumb. I don't care what the listeners have to say about this one. Ancient peoples are not dumb. They have ancient wisdoms and um, that we may not have access to, and aliens are not a thing when it comes to world history. You can think that aliens are a thing as lovely, but they did not create wonderful things that humans are able to do. We have the same
1: brains now that we had then.
0: And we're and, more
1: bored back then because we didn't have the constant input of a thousand and one different.
0: But, and it's not even so. being more bored. It's just, we have more time to learn and to think more critically because we're not being bombarded with entertainment all the time. Like people have a minute to look around the world around them and see what things are useful for and what they're not useful for. And in all reality, it would probably only take one woman to try to put crocodile dung up in her snatch to realize that's a really bad fucking idea.
1: I, just, I um, can't imagine, like, that would be so painful.
0: Well, I mean, the ancient world is all about pain for women. Like, let's just be real about that for five seconds. So crocodile dung in in the vaginal canal is probably the least of, of female worries um, yeah. in the ancient world. But even still, like, it, it doesn't take much to realize that's going to cause an infection. That's not great if you're trying to do anything... With a man, no. So um, it probably is a great contraception because you don't want to bang after that because now you have the worst yeast infection known to man and God.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like <laughs> Nexplanon. It works. As, <laughs> it works as contraception because. You can't make a baby if you're not having sex.
0: Yeah, exactly. I do know that there's a bean recipe and maybe we'll talk about this with beans, but I know that there's a bean paste recipe that I have in the PGM um, for nerdy people, the PGM for not nerdy people. That is the Greek magical papyri book that will always make its presence known here. Sorry, guys. But it's a bean paste that you're supposed to eat and it's supposed to render you infertile for a year. So I don't know. Maybe we will check out. You can't drink, eat the bean paste. Sorry, I will, love. I
1: will not eat um, the bean paste. No,
0: no. <laughs> Hints for what's happening there. But, um, and I don't need the bean paste because.
1: You're already infertile. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, uh, by choice. Very happy about it. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I wouldn't be making a joke if it was something. No,
0: no, 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 about. no. We have yeah. shut down shop, but I did not use beans to do so. <laughs> but yeah, that could be an interesting sort of thing to look at the, the ways in which. Uh, contraception is used right and i don't know off the top of my head if if there's any sort of olive oil and abortifacient connections not that there wouldn't be but i could definitely see it being used as a spermicide i mean there's there's,
1: oil and sperm don't really mix yes no i can't imagine that they would so also um, off topic don't use olive oil with latex condoms Oil ruins the integrity of latex it will poke holes in your condom and then you will have babies Maybe because well, it's also if olive, oil. To use olive oil. I the it just time. come on, guys!
0: Like, there's so many things on the market now that are super readily
1: available. Don't use food Don't use products olive oil. or coconut oil. Coconut oil has <laughs> enough sugars in it that you might be dealing with the yeast infection problem too. So.
0: Unless you're trying to make sugar cookies. <laughs>
1: Yeasted sugar cookies? Yeah, I don't know.
0: And just don't do it, okay? Like use KY, and I swear. Our first sponsor for a food podcast <laughs> is going to be like, be is, a, is It's going to be a, a sexual lubricant. This is lovely. Uh, welcome to the podcast about food, where shit gets weird, really real nice. fast. No, I think that this was super fascinating. I love the idea of like the different uses. I also have this image in my head of like an ancient Roman. Seeing us today and watching us dip our bread so eagerly and delicately and and excitedly into lamp oil (laughs) and how preposterous that must look to them if they're like, I'm sorry, why are you not lighting this on fire right now? Lamp oil
1: and old wine that's been left to sit out and a bunch of herbs. Yes. Like, they're probably going...
0: Like, why are you putting red wine vinegar on your sandwiches, people? This yes. is gross, <laughs> and then we make it worse by dipping our our bread into some lamp oil. Like the sandwich, Jersey mice probably looks absolutely horrendous and disgusting <laughs> to an ancient Roman. <laughs> They're like, I'm sorry, this is ruined wine and lamp oil that you have just put all over this ridiculous bird. Because I eat turkey sandwiches, which they also would not have been eating in the ancient world, at no. least not in the ancient Mediterranean. No. Yeah, turkeys are not a Mediterranean delicacy by any means. What? Yeah, no. no, 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 no. That's 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 new world stuff, which we'll talk about. Also, almost was the American bird, but apparently, people didn't like the idea of eating the American mascot on Thanksgiving. So, thus enter the bald eagle.
1: Which the bald eagle. I don't know if you've ever heard it. That nice little eagle scream they use in all of the patriotic stuff. <laughs> that's from a red-tailed hawk.
0: Yeah, because the bald eagle sounds like it's.
1: It sounds dumb, guys. It's just, yeah, we'll go with
0: that. We're going to keep it PC and just say that it doesn't sound like an intelligent bird. <laughs> okay. So what are we going to do with this, with this olive oil stuff today though? So, right. Cause we have a couple of things, right. I had to pause to go check a cake. So yes. what are we doing
1: with this today? So we took two recipes, um, uh, one that was much more close to a traditional, like straight olive oil recipe. It doesn't have any additives. It is basically just olive oil and flour and eggs and sweetener.
0: And by traditional you mean from antiquity. Yes. Right. It's, so we're, we're it's looking... the
1: closest to like an old and like a recipe from antiquity that I could find. Um, I did have to adjust it and we'll have the actual links of what we used in the show notes, along with the changes that we made. So this recipe had some modern options to it that we adjusted. So modern options, modern ingredients that we adjusted for and took out. For example, for authenticity, we removed the baking powder because you wouldn't have ended up using that. Mm-hmm. And I used a couple of tables of sour cream added into the milk and yogurt instead so that it's a closer traditional use to those ingredients because you'd be using things that were about to go off or had gone off. So that is just, that's the original cake. And we're also going to drizzle that with a little bit of honey. hmm um, because we ended up using honey in the place of white sugar, because, of course, white sugar just wouldn't have been a thing.
0: Yeah, no. Um, unless this was a uh, post-colonial cake. Um, yeah, sugar just wouldn't have been introduced into the Mediterranean, into the old world, until after 1492, when jackasses sailed the ocean blue to not discover anything, let alone what they thought they were discovering. I mean, that's the historical accurate way to describe columbus just so you know so new listeners
1: let's be super fair to columbus he also wiped out two indigenous tribes that we know of. oh
0: for sure because we love to be absolutely fair to genocidal maniacs i wish we were recording this on columbus day that's what we're gonna do we're gonna record on columbus day something that has to do with columbian exchange and we're gonna rag on mr
1: columbus columbus Good,
0: But yeah, so stay tuned for that. Oh yeah, it's going to be great. Um Okay, so we have the first cake that you made. So we switched out the sugar for honey yes. to have more of an authentic sort of
1: um, ex- excess, right? To yes. access what they would have access to in the ancient world. And instead um, of using baking powder, we ended up using sour cream to kind of have that sort of leavening agent. Mm-hmm. Um, because it would have also been, this is where you would not be using up things that you could still drink safely yeah. you would have yeah. been adding these into your cakes to bake them to stretch those ingredients a little bit that makes because, sense there's yeah. no refrigeration
0: in the ancient world yeah and milk is gross
1: <laughs> if
0: soured and you know so like it doesn't keep forever yeah and then I put together the modern version recipe that you gave me yes and so I had sugar and I um it's a uh, what an orange cardamom. Yes. Olive oil cake. So some um, extra flavors to it has a little bit of fanciness to it, right? With the cardamom and the orange, not necessarily things that wouldn't have been available in the ancient worlds, but definitely, you know, maybe not as traditional in this recipe. And then of course I get to use the wonderful cane sugar, yeah. <laughs> wonderful or not. And also um, the, you know, so the egg, same thing. And then yogurt and orange juice. So, and then I get to use, modern leavening agents so I had baking powder and baking soda in mine and I went downstairs to take it out and it is much more um lifted than yours so it's kind of
1: mine did rise a little bit
0: yeah but it kind of looks like um it has like a um cornbread sort of look to it It it's it's very um not dense I don't expect it to be dense but I don't I definitely don't expect any rise to it where mine is definitely much more in the vein of like a sourdough where it's very much risen
1: just a little, little fun thing for you. Uh, so the actual word "messiah" that's used means to anoint.
0: Yeah, not to rise. No, it means. So we we have messiah
1: cakes downstairs. We have messiah. Cakes we have
0: downstairs. anointed. We have anointed our flour <laughs> and, and egg
1: and. and <laughs> the word messiah being to anoint, kind of ties back in the importance in religious and cultural areas of olive oil and other yep. oils at the time. But olive oil would have been the most ubiquitous because again. Olive trees everywhere. There's
0: still religious communities who, when they anoint, they anoint with olive oil. Yeah. And not just with water and things like that. Yeah.
1: I mean, a lot of, like, Catholic anointing is done with sacred olive oils. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we're going to go do a taste test, and we will talk to you guys about it here in just a little bit.
0: All right, let's go. Okay, we're back. Okay. And we're back with oil, olive oil cake. So, I don't know, just on visual, right? So we took the modern version that I made and we dusted it with some powdered sugar. And then on one side, we added orange and cardamom infused honey. So that's not the side that we're trying though, because we're trying the one that has fewer flavors. So this is just the side that has some powdered sugar on it. And I will say this cake is what inch, inch and a half thick,
1: just over inch and a half.
0: Okay, so definitely had some rise versus what's going on with the, with the olive oil cake you made. What do we got here?
1: Uh, as far as rise is concerned, sweet fuck all. <laughs> no, actually, it probably rose a quarter inch or so, but it has a very close texture.
0: I mean, it's definitely in, in a comparison between the inch and a half-ish thick for the modern cake... Um, But your cake is what, maybe a half an inch thick? Mm -hmm. Um, And these were made in the same size. Mine was a nine inch pan. Yours was a 10 inch pan. So shouldn't have too much difference, but if they were made with the same one, but this is, this is a substantial sort of rising thickness difference. Even the consistency, right? The modern one definitely looks like a sponge cake, yeah. where the older one kind of looks
1: like a pie.
0: Yeah. And um, I'm not going to lie. I'm much more excited to try the old one. So... Old or new first? What are we trying?
1: Uh, let's start old and work our way up.
0: Okay. All right. So I'm so sorry for the um, eating on camera on mic. So I don't know. Maybe we'll I'll mute myself for a second here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is actually really good. It's also very much a pie. It's
0: chewy, spongy. The texture is different for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Not bad though. No. Very simple flavor. Like, it's not, it's it's not, like, in your face with anything, but it's...
1: It's also very clearly olive oil. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: The texture is, like, messing me up here. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a wild texture.
1: Not unpleasant. Not even a little bit.
0: No. I think the honey on top definitely adds something to it, because the cake is pretty simple as far as flavors go.
1: Yeah, this is something that would have been, like, a base flavor, I Mm -hmm.
0: think. Well, also, I'm thinking, like, just looking at these and thinking in terms of travel and taking with, like, I know that when we get to my episode next week on honey, right, the honey cakes, some of the recipes were altered so that they would keep longer and they can go into, like, packs for soldiers and things like that. Not that I know what a Roman Legion soldiers pack looks like, but (laughs) it would be taken with them, um, sort of on the road. And just looking at these two cakes, I can see that like the older version seems like it would keep longer and easier, right? It's a, it's a more dense cake, smaller profile. It's not as crummy. So if you were to wrap it up in, I don't know, grape leaves or whatever, (laughs) here's where my ancient knowledge fails me. But like, if you're going to wrap it in something and put it into a sack, I feel like this would have a little bit easier travel with than the, uh, the modern version.
1: And you could also easily like break it with your hands. Yes. So like a modern cake is going to crumble and just fall to pieces.
0: Yeah. Where this, you could share a little bit easier if you were so inclined to do. Also, I'm wondering, even though it's not made with preservative, right? Or like, I mean, we of course use some modern things with it, but I'm wondering if the use of honey versus sugar in it would actually make it keep longer just because of the shelf life of honey, which is essentially forever. Mm -hmm. So already, have you already tried the modern
1: one? I have not.
0: Okay, let's, let's dive into this one. This one has such a light
1: palette cleanse. Palette cleanse. Oh, I did,
0: I did, I did. Yeah, we're, we're taking ourselves very seriously with our palette cleanse of black coffee.
1: I'm never taking myself seriously right
0: now. <laughs> no, we're eating on air.
1: <laughs> you get to hear all our mouth noises. Holy moly. And there's the cardamom.
0: It, I mean, it tastes like it's an orange cake. Yes. It's an orange cake. There's a ton of orange in this. Like, uh, it's four tablespoons of orange zest that was massaged into Mm -hmm. the sugar. And then there's orange juice in it. And then, of course, you did the orange juice um, sort of brush drizzle over the top.
1: It doesn't have as, like, dry of a texture as Mm -hmm. you get with more traditional cakes. Or maybe I just have had bad cakes. This is really good. (laughs) Well, yeah, and
0: I I don't know. Maybe it doesn't speak to how good a cake is if I do like it because I don't like cake. So I don't know if that means like cake that I like is really good or cake I like is really bad because I don't like good cake. You know, it's a whole thing.
1: You liked my Christmas cake we did.
0: I did like your Christmas cake, but you know, chocolate on chocolate on chocolate is not always a bad idea.
1: It's almost never a bad idea. True,
0: but sometimes it can be dry. This, this olive oil cake is not dry. And I'm assuming because of the olive oil.
1: Most of the recipes online talked about how olive oil cakes will stay moist for a little bit longer, and uh, I see it.
0: It has like, it seems like they're really, it's kind of like a, um, like a lemon spice cake.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But the orange cardamom is just like different citrus spice. So it's pleasant. I think I like it better than a lemon cake, though, because the orange is slightly sweeter. Yeah. Slightly less of a flavor bully. I think that lemon can be a flavor bully.
1: That's yeah, why lemon poppy seed is just lemon.
0: Pretty yeah. much, yeah. Which is unfair because poppy seed cake is delicious, but... Mm-hmm. I good. love we, poppy We gotta seed. do, it, like, almond poppy seed.
1: Almond can be a flavor
0: bully, too, mm-hmm. if you're not careful. That's true. Um, but no, this is, this is lovely. Um, I'm not mad at the modern, which is surprising with me and cake, but I am definitely not mad at the ancient either. I feel like I'd be happy with eating this in a world where there's not McDonald's. (laughs) Not that I want to eat McDonald's either, but like in a world where like you have to work for these things. I mean, imagine if this is the, so we used extra virgin olive oil, right? So this is essentially... I don't know, higher grade stuff, at least middle of the road. So this is what...
1: I would say that this was a middle class. Okay. oil, based on the original Levantine classes we talked about.
0: Well, and it's interesting because then, right, a lot of history perspectives come from, like, you know, people in power write history or have histories written about them. So a lot of the time we have evidence of what people are doing in antiquity from a position of authority in a position of aristocracy and leadership and with food it feels like we might be able to tap into those lower classes the more everyday person right where what we're able to do is kind of a social history and just what are people on the ground in the places tasting which is really fascinating instead of thinking like, you know, well, what is, what is Caesar eating? Well, like we know what Caesar's eating because it's freaking documented. And if you're talking about Julius, he wrote everything fucking down. So we for sure know what he ate, but it's nice to think like, just what is, you know, what's, what's Lucius eating <laughs> or some nondescript Roman name.
1: What is that one guy, Terry, <laughs> Terry. Terry, the Roman, he's just, terrius some... yes. that Terius. Or Rory, the the centurion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is is this one random soldier eating? And I think that this very basic sort of dense cake would have been something that, like, his wife sent out with him. And she's like, here, I just want you to have something small, something Mm -hmm. enjoyable, like, just a little treat, like with my husband, I'll pack him little treats every once in a while. And I think that that's a very common uh, historical precedent for people you love. Because- You're a
0: much better wife than I am. <laughs> I, just in, I like- in fact, have a husband who packs me snacks. So um, I'm pretty sure we have a very intense role reversal in my household. So <laughs> uh, my husband is a lovely traditional wife who packs me snackies and treats. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely. This feels like like, the the modern cake is delicious, but the older um, ancient cake that we've made sort of feels like what someone would describe, like, it reminds them of home.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Where where the modern cake feels like a treat. Like, it feels like we made a dessert together, which is lovely. But this idea of, like, this is the taste of somebody's
1: home. You know what it reminds me of, the ancient one? Like a gooey butter cake. Okay. Where it's not necessarily good yeah <laughs> yeah it's not good in the traditional sense of oh this is a really great texture or this has perfectly balanced flavors no and no, it's no. not
0: decadent by any mean no that's that would not be the word I would use to describe this
1: but it's comforting hearty yes
0: for sure filling I can imagine having a slice of this and being like cool uh that's that I'm good
1: it reminds me of, like, those flourless chocolate cakes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does, does. kind of. Which is interesting that I'm, you know, some of the Jewish connections to these recipes as well, right? Because flourless chocolate cake is absolutely a Jewish thing for Pesach. Pesach. But just thinking that, like, you know, some of, I don't know, my people, this is what home tastes like to them. And yeah. sort of tapping into some of that um, ancient space.
1: Like, oh, home. Oh, little... Yeah. Literally a little
0: taste of home. I love it. Well, anything else for olive oil for us?
1: I don't think so. That is olive oil. Do you have anything else?
0: I don't think so. I am really excited because we've already kind of tapped a little bit into the ingredient that I will be talking about on our next episode because we used quite a bit of honey in these recipes. But I am super excited to to offer you a little deep dive into these the sticky golden goo that is uh that is honey for next week, so stay tuned for that.
1: So we go from slippery golden goo to sticky golden goo.
0: Yeah, that sounds like the Mediterranean.
1: <laughs> yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah
0: that tracks. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to episode one.
1: Thanks for learning alongside us, and please consider subscribing to our Patreon. It's patreon.com/slash/history-between-bites. Also, our YouTube or Table will be up soon, and of course, various social medias.
0: You can find us. Sorry for our social medias. You can find us on Facebook and um, Instagram as History Between bites Pod.
1: Wonderful. We'll also have those linked in the show notes. So, until next time, stay hungry
0: history I mean women aren't bathing after at least not in the bathhouses they're not bathing well no they had their own thing great now we got to look up the history of bathing <laughs> just not <laughs> at all culinary Until it is. Until it is. You watch. It'll come back to food somehow. Human stew. Coming to you next time. What?